0: Thank you very much indeed, Eric. And welcome, everybody. Lovely to see a full house on our season finale for the 10th anniversary season here at the National Academy. Uh, A very big thank you to to Carmen Brannigan and to all the staff and academicians at the Academy for instigating uh, this program and sustaining it for a full decade. Uh, A heroic contribution, I would suggest, to the spectacle of live art criticism in New York City. (laughs) <laughs> so a vote of thanks and a, an a, and applause for the National Academy Museum. <clears throat> wonderful. May I ask, is anybody here at the review panel for the first time this evening? Oh ah, God. excellent. Wonderful. Well, for your benefit and to remind everybody else of the format, how we, how we run this show, uh, we have made... Videos of the four exhibitions that we've all been to see, at least those on the panel, hopefully, have all been to see. And we show two at a time. We show the videos of two shows. We then have a, an internal discussion um, on the panel, on those two exhibitions. We then open the floor to comments from audience, and then we repeat the whole exercise. There's actually something um, very gratifying in seeing studied in this very massed ranks of audience. uh, Not a few uh, former members of this panel, people who have sat in the past on this side of the podium. I can see Irving Sandler in the front row, keeping us on our toes. But then has there ever been an art lecture in New York since about 1950, where Irving (laughs) Sandler hasn't been in the front row? That's nothing exceptional for us, but I also see uh, Herne Pardy, uh Mario Navis, Blake Gopnik, and I believe there are others, Noah Dillon. Noah Dillon and who's pointing? Uh, well, yes, Noah Dillon. <laughs> Noah Dillon is here twice. He's, um, he's here both as a former review panelist and as associate editor of artcritical.com. Excellent, enough schmoozing down to business. So the first point of business is the pleasure of introducing this evening's guests who are all uh, veterans of this program. No neophytes this evening. Um, From your left to your right, uh, you have Roberta Smith, co-chief art critic of the New York Times. You have Christina Key, artist, and a contributing editor and regular contributor at artcritical.com, and a catalogue essayist. And you have Peter Plagans, an artist and also a writer on The Wall Street Journal, and a prolific author, most recently, of a monograph on Bruce Nauman. Ladies and gentlemen, your panel. (laughs) Wonderful. So... um, Eric, let's have a look at the first couple of videos. We're starting with uh, Rosie Kaiser and um, C. Michael Norton. Fabulous. Thank you. Well, we can have the lights back, and we can turn our attention to Rosie Kaiser and Michael Norton. Ex- exhibitions that uh, both reference uh, canines of varying degrees of ferocity in their titles The, the Wolf I Feed and uh, The Hell Bitch I actually grabbed a t-shirt that has on it uh, uh, those of you who follow action movies a, a, um, um, a death dealer um, from the vampire cult who um, uh, just as a lucky talisman to help me ward off these um, uh, wolves and um, other sort of characters. They are kind of rather aggressive paintings in some way, one might assume. Or at least there seems to be some aggression visited on the frame, either literally or metaphorically. Um, A sense of of lattices uh, giving way to uh, color um, and texture and form. Um, Let's start with Rosie Kaiser. Um, Roberta, are we dealing with uh, something that's within the very familiar territory of a a kind of um, support surface or um, um, uh, provisional painting in this uh, strange relationship that Kaiser has with the pictorial surface? Um, Or should we simply read her paintings on her own terms? And have you found other things to think about in relation to her work?
1: Well, Somebody whose work I've been interested in for a long time and kind of per- perennially disappointed in. and
0: Oh, yes. Uh, I forgot is... to tell all our speakers to use the mic to the best of their ability and really um, sort of make love to it in a pop star sort of way.
1: <laughs> okay. Can you hear me now? Mm-hmm. This is a painter whose work I... Re- was really intrigued by when I first saw it and I was perennially disappointed by her shows and um, the work that I remember the most was just incredibly heavy heavy-handed and, and coarse and I think there might have been I think I might have missed a show where there was something much more delicate but I felt like she was sort of just becoming herself in this show and that it made me feel really good for her that she had pushed through to something that was, seemed like her own. It didn't seem like she was totally on balance with it. I, I think some of the more conventional paintings look like kind of warmed over abstract expressionism. Although when you get up, there's always this uh, physical object, you know, fur or the rope. Um, but I really I am interested in this kind of, it's, it's obvious in a way, there are lots of painters who are doing things with thread and with un- unwoven canvas. But I thought that the idea of using it in this really kind of crazed way, as if it were paint, and where it kind of mimicked brush strokes. and I, I just I just thought she could, took a kind of risk with this. And I think I was interested in the idea that, um, that's not her, okay, just to be sure. Um, the idea of using found objects in a pictorial way, so that when you walked in, you weren't quite sure what what was going on, and what was painting, and what was something stuck on the surface, and what was this kind of fringe pulled one way or another. And I, I like that she was able to sort of make it all look like a picture. And then that she was very abrupt, that, that you know the canvas was not totally covering the stretcher, and that... Um, but I, I think there's, and I have to admit that there's a way I like seeing a woman being this rough with painting and that uh, I think that there are precedents for that in the work, say, of Harmony Hammond or Donna Nelson where the physicality has been really uh, disturbed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a, uh, Roberta, I think, uh, Christina, has identified a, a key kind of, dichotomy or two two possibilities for a way of reading um, a Kaiser image. one is as a painting that's been uh, disturbed and the other is um, that a painting that's being built up from elements that could be construed as painterly marks but happen to be made of the the fabric of 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 a support as well as as well as a, a color. Um, did, did you find yourself once you Got the temperature, as it were. Once you acclimatized yourself to to Kaiser, did you find yourself reading them as as um, uh, attacked paintings or paintings coming into being?
2: Very much the second. Uh, very much paintings coming into being. Um, I think um, the one thing that I found, I liked the show, and the one thing that I found very convincing um, about the work was her relationship to materials and that idea of materials being used in a in a pictorial way. I think was very. Um, the more I think about these paintings, like, the more elegant they become. I think they're very, um, very deft, very, very skilled, um, and I think classically beautiful, uh, if anything, I think they really do build up. They take something that's rugged and heavy and build it up to something that's very light, often ethereal, even. you know with the if you look at the compositions of the paintings, they use um, arcs and diagonals in ways that really seem to talk about heavy to lightness or, um You know, something going from a strong point to a, a lighter point, something you know they seem to deal with that kind of dynamism of something getting lighter. Is that the way I was reading the paintings, and I was very convinced by her handling of the materials that way. I think that's um, I think that's a very innate part of I mean've to be honest I'm not that familiar with her work, but I you know looked up what I could and I think that um, that's really. A good part of who she is as an artist, I'm convinced by her use of materials. It didn't seem like a, like a put-on thing. It seemed very uh, convincing, and so I was convinced by the overall tone of it. With the the hell bitch being that source painting, that all seemed to make sense to me and hang together very well. So yes, coming into being.
0: Is how I would see it. Does does that um, refinement then um, uh, delicacy almost, um, undermine the the gutsy female. Um, uh, handling of materials that Roberta was celebrating.
2: No, no, it doesn't. I mean, clearly that's the the source material, it's there, mm-hmm. the, you know, the works, the, the materials that have been wrestled around into place. Mm-hmm. And uh, that is really good use of fringe. I was pretty impressed with the way she's got it hanging and sticking. <laughs> uh, you know, I like that a lot. Um, so no, it doesn't, doesn't at all. I think um, you know, there's that real physicality there. It's just, I guess I was talking more about the way the artworks really function. And for me, they end up being all very... Very beautiful, and as I say, even you know, elegant or, or delicate.
0: When they—that's how they remain mm. in the mind. I felt. So, Peter, refinement or aggression?
3: Refinement, and that isn't necessarily a compliment. I'm probably going to be grumpy old man more than once here. So, um, this an interesting show that if I were writing about it, I would have to go back and see it again and question myself as to why it hit me so negatively. Of the four, I had it at number four. Um, uh, and one of the things was the was first place I thought, and I'm not that familiar with her work, I thought maybe this is bad time for a show. I'm one of those small minds for whom a foolish consistency is a bugaboo. And the the you know the the painting paintings that Roberta referred to, and then there were the deconstructed things with the stretcher bar showing through, and then there were some more object like panels with things hanging from them. And I noticed that was a pretty heavy duty output for two thousand and fifteen, a lot of these big aggressive works. and I thought. Maybe wait later till all these things are alike. But anyway, that's off the subject because talk about what's on the wall. I thought there was too much beige and too much grid. And if you're, and I've seen some other work of hers that's really sculptural. You know, that doesn't play with the, you know, attacked rectangle of the, you know, of the stretcher bar. Um, and in the end, the elegance of it seemed to me to be tepid in terms of, in terms of the aggression. Um, but, like I said, if I were going to write about this and put something out there, it's exactly the kind of show I'd go back and see again because I wonder why it got to me. I mean, obviously part of the thing is I'm a painter too, but. That's probably a big part of it, but why did it hit me so negatively?
0: It it is interesting that um, the majority of paintings have um, a a polite relationship with the support, such that we don't really need to question the support. It's a rectangle, it's a fabric, of uh, a taut fabric, and it behaves properly in supporting giving some degree of resistance or varying degrees of resistance but it supports whatever the painter wants to slather onto it but as soon as we uh, do puncture uh, the canvas or uh, expose the frame um, we're in a kind of con- in a in a we are in a sort of semantic context of the language of painting and it may be that what's refreshing about this show is that it's it's, um, it's the skill set it brings to constructing rather than deconstructing upon the lattice upon the the, the stretcher bars um, is more interesting ultimately than the the deconstruction the construction is more interesting than the deconstruction that perhaps we're actually just at a stage where there has been such a consistent such a consistent assault on the support uh, for you know half a century that it's it's just a sh- a form within which one can construct imagery now. Um, but is that is that really the case? Can we ever actually accept a kind of attack on the conventions of the of the the painted support and then work constructively within it, or are we always going to be conscious of that? Um, that deconstruction roberta
1: <laughs> i'm still stuck on semantics here because I, you know it's, it's is it becoming or is it is it aggressive i don't know it's it's just doing something it's sort of it sort of has a sense of process and a sense of change and emotion in it and i also think that it's kind of parodying the sense of gesture like and mm-hmm. I, I think that there's something kind of funny about them and, and felt. Um, and, uh, you know, painting is always sort of attacking itself and questioning itself and affirming mm-hmm. itself. So yes. that doesn't... That, and so you'd have to name names, you know, about, <laughs> in terms of attack on the support. But
0: um, Yes, OK. Well, actually, funny, one, funny enough, one name who... Well, the first thing I'd say is that actually... This is not a compliment. But Kaiser could be slipped in as an, another painter within the forever now. It seems that, the the, the, the therefore, there's something of a zeitgeist of um, play with the support uh, within that kind of, um, within her, her process. But at the, at the same time, I was actually struck by one or two of the paintings where there was more of a, a, a veiling and a sort of a procession of gauzes. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking. Wow, it's got nothing to do with him, but there's kind of a bit of a, bit of a conversation, nonetheless, happening, or, a, or just maybe a transmission, a crossing of wires between uh, Merlin James and Rosie Kaiser. We've been thinking about his most recent show at Sycamore Jenkins, where oh,
1: that's a really interesting
0: many point. of the paintings were actually just the support, right. and here's a painter who's eschewed frames for, sort of belligerently for almost all his career, suddenly going berserk with frames. Um, so is there something in the air yet again about um, about these, the convention, about the support? Um, it, it seems to me impossible, actually, to not think about um, the language of painting when... Um, and and I, I'm not somebody who thinks one should have to always think about the language of painting. If you think about poetry, there's some, there are language poets and there are poets who are making you think about language, making you think about... Uh, genres and conventions but there are other poets who just have something poetic to say and say it and we don't think about those things because uh, it can become academic if that's all we ever think about So, but within painting, most painters painters who accept the support can be about something else but painters who puncture the support the conversation's always going to at some point come back to the support
2: hmm.
0: Christina any thoughts on that?
2: Um. I was just thinking of it in terms of the source uh, again that she uses. I think that plays into what you're saying a little bit. Um, I would think yes, you can accept the the puncturing of her support without it being a larger semantic question. I really think it um, it plays more like what you were saying as the poet who's just writing poetry uh, without larger concerns. I, I think that she's use, very much using it as a form for you know her. Um, you know, her gesture and her creative um, expression on, you know, in that particular rectangle, I think that's that's just mm-hmm. fine without it being a larger statement. But what I do think is interesting is her use of, for if it's not clear to anybody uh, who might have seen the show, the, the, uh, the title comes from this source painting she has in her studio, and it's actually named after Ray racehorse I think, originally. So Mm -hmm. that's where the title comes from. Um, And it's sort of what she described as being like a, um, funnily enough, like a yeast, uh, like a sourdough starter, Mm -hmm. Um, like a material entity in her studio that she will take from and glue onto and transfer from. I mean, it must just be a very big, messy item Mm -hmm. that then sort of spore-like puts out things into the rest of the painting. So I'm not sure if that quite ties into your question of the support as such, but in terms of... Um, you know, the, that rectangle being a place to, to put things, to put energies. I think, it's, I think it works very well that way, and I don't think it needs to be a larger discussion. There's something in the expressive nature of the paintings that keeps it from being, I think, too um, cerebral or intellectualized in that sense.
0: The last show of hers I saw was at Peter Bloom Gallery, and it seemed that her, her references um, and, and the vibe was much more the street, uh, here it's here it's the gallery, but there it was the street um, with a kind of almost riotella kind of torn supports. Um, well, so it's
1: almost like she left out. Every, you know, she, she yes, she didn't go through through to the wall, but there wasn't a lot of paint.
0: And right. This
1: is probably the most I've seen her use the brush, for example. You know, instead Ooh. of scattering sawdust around or something.
0: Yes, yes. So rather than creating uh, a literal kind of street within the gallery. It's um, it, it's it's a using of, um, yeah. It's well, a, it
1: seemed to me a whole different thing because <coughs> oh, there was always this kind of found object quality to the work before where you saw what was being used and, you know, it was kind of <coughs> tough. And here it was much more ambiguous and it was just sort of treated equally with paint. Right. Know, <coughs> and
0: and um. uh, Roberta and, and Christina are, uh, I think, both energized by this ambiguity between whether it's a picture that's been torn up or whether it's a frame upon which um, things have been applied that then build up to something like a picture. Um, uh, but Peter, I, I, I would be sort of happy with either or of those scenarios. It's actually the, the going back and forth and the ambivalence that leaves me a bit perplexed. Is that, could that be a source of perplexity to you as well?
3: Uh, no, I don't think so. I, although my tentative qualitative judgment differs from, say, Christine is I agree with, uh, uh, you know, that it, it doesn't seem to be to be a position paper mm-hmm. on the nature of the support in the painting, something like say Fontana is with slashed paintings. Mm-hmm. You know, they're making a point. It seems to be, although it's not a hundred percent. It seems to be this is my way of making art right now, and I'm expressing something with these means. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than a kind of, you know, taxonomy, Mm -hmm. whether it's a support, whether it's, you know, something like that. I don't, don't, it, we'll give it this. I mean, it is expressionist in the larger sense, and so it doesn't seem to be that much of a position paper. Um, So I give the artist, the artist is making something to look at out of the mode that she seems to,
0: um,
3: you know, have arrived at.
0: So is it, is it more Pollock than Jasper Johns? Maybe it, it's going back to a kind of lyrical expressionism with a toughness to it um, and playful with the materials, but rather than um, a kind of everything in things are, things are not always in sort of quotation marks the way they are with Johns. Yeah, I
1: don't think it has. <coughs> it, I mean, That's what I sort of open with. It doesn't yes. have the same relationship to reality beyond it. And I I do think that Donna Nelson's an interesting reference point because it's like they're both interested in considering the painting in the round. And Nelson, you know, makes you walk around to the back and then has the way that the paint soaks through and does different things. And Kaiser's interested in just putting it on the wall and you sort of understand the back from looking at it. But that you're still aware that it's something, you know, that's not just the front. It goes
0: through. Right. Let's turn our attention now to Michael Norton, um, for whom dialogue between uh, support and surface is um, perhaps more metaphorical than um, literal, uh, in that um, I noticed, Peter, that even where it seems the eye can rest in um, what looks at first like raw canvas turns out to be um, painted raw canvas. I mean, raw canvas um, colored painting, if you know what I mean. We we don't actually get raw canvas very much. We just get um, brown and gray areas. Um, What did you make of Michael Norton?
3: You mean just blank, clean slate? What did I make of (laughs) Michael Norton? Because you're usually very specific
0: in your questions. I'm getting... I'm thrown off here. It's the 10th anniversary, exactly. So, okay, most people, if I say to Roberta, Roberta, boom, 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 uh, Mm boom, what would you like to say to that? And she said, I'm going to ignore that. And then she tells me what's on her mind. So with Peter, I say, Peter, tell me what's on your mind. And you say, where's the question? So, um, can't win here. Um, Okay, Peter, I have a question for you about Michael Morgan. (laughs) I see a tension in his work, a deliberate play in his work, between chaos and clarity. Uh, which do you feel has the upper hand?
3: The chaos and what was the second term?
0: Clarity. Clarity? Clarity, Clarity.
3: Yes. No, it's clarity. In the end, it's, it's, it's clarity. I mean, these things are extremely well visually crafted. They're very crisp. They're very... Lively, everything is meant. Um, I don't know exactly how they're done. I want to quote some. Uh, the the I think it was the catalog essay, Stephen Westfall. And although I don't agree with one of his premises, which he says there's a kind of anti vivacity. Sensibility at work in the art world. We don't like big bright colors, et cetera, et cetera. We're you know kind of against that. But he had this wonderful thing that I thought was very profound about seeing a painting both two ways, as if it's the first thing you see. You know, just take it as it is, visual bang. You open your eyes and there it is. And then the other thing is seeing it with all the contexts. You know, and all the context that Mr. Norton alludes to, some of which, you know, Jasper Johns is right in there. Maybe not in that cool thing, but you know, is it is or is it ain't painting? Is it painting quoted as painting, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Uh, and that did something for me because, because as taken as the first thing you see. They're they're better to me than with all the context taken in, you know. And I will probably ruin the discussion by somebody else said this, you know, that there was this sort of Leroy Neiman esque, uh, you know, old boy. Obo- no, not not the whole supervision, but that kind of old boyism with paint, you know. Look at what you can do, you know, and look at what I can do with that, which made me a little suspicious. So the first sight, good, and then I started to temper it as I saw those other things.
0: Mm, Right. Will you find yourself, Roberta, uh, doing more tempering or more enthusing?
1: (coughs) Well, I pretty much hated them when I first saw them. Um, They're what I would call generic. That it's, it's... Many aspects of them, I feel, are things I have seen, you know, Again and again I feel like there's a lot of lyrical abstraction in them there's a lot of Richter in them yeah. and um, there's a and then you know the longer you spend the more time you spend with something the the more you get in sympathy with it you know I, I, I mean well crafted is is exactly the right word for, for me Peter's word um, and you know some of that thing, you know, I, could, I can, I do like the bright colors. I do like the fact that they're worked and I can see all these actions and, and processes. And just, you know, this, there's a certain way he had of putting one color on top of another and then adding a third that, you know, it's, it's interesting, it's legible. Um, you know, I don't think it's new. And, but I do think he gives a kind of elaborating on craft. I do think he brings a kind of intelligence to it. I thought there was a, con- in, the, in the last three, or at least two of the last three, I thought there was a very kind of funny reference almost to film and to the idea of film burning through because they seemed like <laughs> burns in the surface, you know, so I, it, it was like somebody had looked at, you know, underground film from the 50s and thought, you know, which was looking at painting and then saying, I'm going to make a painting from that film, you know, it just was like, I don't know, it was just this kind of weird corruption r- moving in the other way. Um, but, you know, they were pleasant. They were they were even commanding. Right.
0: Uh, they got pleasant, but obviously they didn't start pleasant.
1: Well, they, they gained individuality. I guess that's what right. happened when the more you look at something and the All right. way it's made.
0: Yes, yes. So on the surface, uh, the, the first impression is of... Um, somebody within well-worn tropes of painting. But and then... doing it
1: really well. And I also want to say that for me there was a huge distinction. Some of the paintings, mm. I, the paintings that didn't have those holes in them and those weird gaps and that would be probably about half of them. Yes. I really found much, much more generic than the other kind. But, but again, it's like, it's like something that happened in the 70s for, for painters. You know, you wanted to have a thing. You know, a yes. kind of, a, a kind of thing that appeared in all the paintings and was...
0: Oh, a motif different. that gave you a, like a yeah, trademark motif.
1: Or a process or something.
0: Yes, yes. A bit like Adolf Gottlieb's um, like pulsating. No, I
1: was thinking more of like John Seary and although I wouldn't be able to name what his was. Right. Know, not, that, not, not the abstract expressionist generation. I wasn't okay. talking about a motif. I was talking about a, doing something with
0: paint. A shtick. Yes. Or
1: a sponge.
0: Or a sp- <laughs> <laughs> Christina, the, a, lot, a lot of the paintings, and, and, and Roberta's making a point there, actually an interesting one about the fact that we don't actually have um, uh, an entirely homogenous show. We have quite a distinction, I'd say, between uh, some of the smaller works towards the front of the gallery and three quite, quite big and, I think, the most ambitious paintings sort of saved till last in the, in the back corner, um, which to my eye were, were the most satisfying in the show. Um, and in, in those paintings, th- those are the paintings where it seemed that in the striving for kind of order or clarity or structure within which to allow his uh, sort of um, love of chaos to, to, to flourish or, or, or somehow be contained, um, there seemed to be something quite interesting going on with, um, with pictorial illusion, with a kind of lattice um structure that gets um, painted in those um or with a kind of more uh forced um a more uh strident distinction between the painterly stuff and the clean ground. Uh did you notice that too and was that did that inform the way you
2: Uh yes, I agree with what you're saying. Um unfortunately, I also had a lot of trouble with this show. Um I think the the sort of armor like quality to the paintings uh, was really something that was quite off putting for me and I really tried to get past it. Unlike you, the more I read, the more I got into the works, and I thought, you know, they really are they're incredibly intelligent, they're incredibly well done. Um, I think you're referring to the lattice work and then the, the structures that build on top of that. I think they reference um, they relate to his earlier sculptural works. I mean, I think there's a really strong hand and eye there. There was something about the sensibility of these Mm -hmm. pieces, though, that just seemed... Well, it was even in the titles, you know, What a Wallop and Split Kick. Um, Mm -hmm. The the titles are aggressive, and I couldn't help but feel that the whole motivating force behind these very, very well-done paintings was to make a very strong painting, and that's not... Mm -hmm. You know, so to say this is in a sort of situation, it's complex, it's in your face, it's with the bold colors, it's all on the same setting. Um, And there's, you know, tremendously interesting passages within it, but the fundamental sort of mood of them I found very difficult.
0: And these are, are, he's a painter who who came of age around the same generation as, as say, um, Julian Schnabel or David Reed. Uh, It's a late 70s, 80s, there's a sort of 80s feel I feel to this mm-hmm. kind of the sound, the 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 volume of these uh, paintings. They they do come on strong in a in, with a certain you know masculine individuality. I don't think there's any question about that, um, and that might be something that um, some of us on the panel are allergic to, uh, but that uh, others on the panel are more accommodating towards. Um, I would
1: really call them 70s.
0: You wouldn't call them no. I mean 80s. Yeah,
1: I would not call them 80s.
0: Oh, you would call them 70s, not 80s? Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. OK,
0: that, I, I can see why from a formal and art historical point of view, because of the um, uh, they do remind me of painters of the 70s in the process and the structure thing. But it's the noise and the energy and the raucousness that feels kind of more 80s. And I
3: say something about, and this may be, oh, I don't know, tiny or irrelevant, mm. acrylic. Mm. <laughs> Um, because when I first went in, I didn't read about them, and I thought these might be oil paintings, a la, you know, Richter, and and it's not so much that, yeah, acrylic, like Hemingway used to say, anybody can write in the first person, uh, the, the, the sort of, you know, yeah, acrylic. You can do this stuff, and it stays bright and shiny, you know, and... So what am I saying? It's not that they would have had more credibility with me if they had not been a material that was so amenable. But I, I like to see a little bit of resistance of the medium in there. Something to give it a little bit, so it isn't just like you start it, and it finishes, and boom. You know, I like to see that there's a little bit of problem in there. And as somebody who paints with water-based paints, um, I know it's easy. And I, I'm easier. I mean, I can't deal with oil paint. Uh, and that got to me. And there might be something in the quality of some of the colors, too, particularly the yellow.
0: But I think we could just take that's, that's, a, that's a fascinating insight. And I, I welcome that observation. It's not a minor point. But I, I would say we have what we have. and. Um, The plasticness, the literal and metaphorical plasticness of his palette and of uh, acrylic, um, I I have to take as intentional. So it's it's part of what makes these paintings um, very noisy uh, uh, to me, and um, they have they have a lot of street in them. I I think that these um, uh, I don't love them as paintings. Uh, I will admit publicly to. Really liking the guy who painted them, but, and that's not relevant, really. It might be, but but actually, I don't think these are lovable paint. To my mind, they're not lovable paintings, but they are. Um, they're really serious paintings. They they uh, and they seem to be really about a sensibility, not mine, but they seem to be very authentic within um, an evolved sensibility, and that's therefore something I I kind of do like about them. you look a little skeptical
1: well i'm i'm interested in peter's word resistance and i think the lack of that is has, you know is is it's a lack that you can relate to acrylic or oil but it's still it's there mm. and there's a way that it could probably i mean i find them exactly the opposite i find them inauthentic and and kind of interesting because of that because they're just playing with all this language and they're using it you know this re- all these received ideas mm. and they're doing pretty a pretty good job with them
4: mm-hmm. but
1: one the, for me the plasticness uh in addition to maybe being what peter referred to as there's not a resistance you don't have a sense of something sort of happening on the canvas in a certain way
5: mm-hmm. mm.
1: but that um oh, i lost my thought no no that's but you've you that's you, kind you, of what you're looking at is,
0: is well you've given us two very strong thoughts one is the lack of resistance, and 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 the second is the exploitation of tropes that have been put out there by others, and therefore how can yeah, it be authentic? I mean, I
1: don't think that there's enough of an attempt to make his own painting. Right, mm-hmm. but I,
0: I I could I think that's fantastic. There's there's really there's there's grounds there for some some discussion because um, <coughs> these remind me a lot of uh, rock and roll or or jazz, um, where I mean I quite like listening to those genres but i'm not not knowledgeable and they're not my they're not my modes of music of choice so as a as a classical music guy i come to jazz and rock and roll and i can always hear um what seem to me kind of cliches in a way but are clearly the language of those genres and so a certain kind of uh uh virtuosic uh, guitar playing in rock and roll um or a kind of um Uh, A sort of wail on the saxophone in jazz you think okay yeah but everyone does that but then that's clearly the language of those modes of music making and actually we just have to sort of those of us who don't get it have to sort of quickly get it and then just move on uh, within it and so I I think that um, uh, that that the the kind of painterly gestures that could be Oh, um, seem overly familiar uh, within his his painting. Is it's his sort of rock and roll or jazz within uh, within this genre? As to the resistance issue, I, I mean, I really, um, there are so many painters who paint so easily and lusciously in oil that I mean, oil, wet in wet, not much resistance there really. Um, whereas, if actually, there are painters mention him for the second time this evening, Merlin James, deliberately uses acrylic because um, he doesn't like it, and oil is too nice and too mm-hmm. easy. So there's somebody who's actually elected to use acrylic for a resistance.
2: Well, acrylic uh, feels like a, a, a barrier rather than a gate, I mean, if, you know, painting,
0: what? A barrier rather than a gate. Yeah,
2: it's, it's harder to enter the painting, and um, that's okay, as you're saying, I mean, if that's the sensibility and it's about all these surface interactions, um, that's, I mean, in a sense, they do succeed um, on that, you know, in that way. But it seems to me like just a little bit more, a little bit more gentleness, frankly, even in that sort of more raucous sensibility, would allow the viewer to enter into those passages and become much more involved with the hand and with the grid. And with the, you know, the many, many interesting passages that are there. But there is something very barrier-like. So I don't think the acrylic is a small point.
0: Well, no, it's not a small point, but I think it's yeah. maybe a misconstrued point. Well,
3: let me, as the person who brought it up, let me try to go back and uh, not quite dig myself out of a hole. But I think one of the dangers of discussions like these is that points that are raised become generalities. You know, and the business of acrylic, when I raised it, there was something in my mind about the glistening yellow that, you know, that he uses. Hansy yellow light or whatever, you know, and the kind of painting he does with it seemed to be relevant to being able to do it. Just boom like that and it dries fast and nothing bad happens, okay? That's that thing applied to one particular artist, just like this whole business of with Rosie Kaiser. Are we building up from a support, or are we attacking a painting and going it down? It depends on the individual artist and the work in the show. So you can't come to conclusions like acrylic good or mm-hmm. bad, or oil mm-hmm. bad or good, or tearing down the support bad. With You know what I mean? Yes. It's, Case by case.
0: Yes. Yeah, but well, that's... And with him, it hit me. Yes. All right. Yes. Yes. I'd like to
1: just retract the word inauthentic. (laughs) Okay. Um, I think... I I don't think they're inauthentic. I don't think they're insincere. I think he means it. I just think there's a kind of neutrality to them Mm -hmm. that um, I have problems with.
0: It could be that they're authentic and they authentically show you that he's shallow. I mean, I mean I'm mean, i not saying that is the case. But, I mean, authenticity in itself is yeah, not a good or a bad it's in a way. True. I mean, Gerhard Richter is, is the absolute quintessence of inauthenticness. Uh, but he obviously goes very deep with his own inauthenticness. Um, I, 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 I'm making the point about, you know, the limits of authenticity. I'm, I'm not making a point about Michael Norton, who I think is authentic and also quite deep so um, I I think the resistance he he doesn't he doesn't get his resistance from the material uh, or the color it's true he gets his his resistance from the chaos that he generates because of his overabundant um, abilities and prowess with color and shape and form he's I think he's constantly he's sort of doing a rosy Kaiser but uh, in, in that he first of all generates a, a nice painting and then he generates too much nice painting and then he's cutting back to, to get back to something cleaner and simpler so i think that the 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 push-pull is something i think there's push-pull in these paintings so in, in no
2: Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I'm not sure whether... Well, no, I felt there was mostly push. I guess that was my main criticism. That was the main problem. Um, One, just to bring it up in terms of chaos, one name that uh, Stephen Westphal in that very good essay uh, mentioned as well was Frank Stella. I don't know if that relates so much to the chaos aspect, but I do feel like Frank Stella also has that very hard, in-your-face, a lot of elements going on at one time kind of sensibility, but it seems just a little bit... The, the purpose of the work seems very different. The way that I mean, if you think of the way Frank Stella feels and the way one of these feels, very yes. very different. Um, one seems to have more, I guess, more air, more space around it, whereas these just feel a bit more like one big slab. Although a very, you know, very well done one. I think they're good paintings, just just very
0: hard. Right, right. I think it's a good time at this point then to bring in our audience and uh, and and hear some comments on both these shows. Uh, we'll do it in uh, the reverse order. We'll, we'll discuss, let's discuss um, Norton first and then try and get back to uh, uh, Kaiser because I think Norton's fresh in our mind. And uh, having started this uh, a rather schmoozy and um, um, uh, kind of self congratulatory thing of calling out former review panelists who are gracing us with their presence this evening, uh, having started them, I have to finish. Um, I didn't notice Nora. Griffin sitting in the back row, and I believe that uh, Dennis Carden and Drew Lowenstein have slunk into the room. So this is no um, this is no uh, compulsion upon them, and uh, Sandler, Gopnik, Navis, uh, Dylan, and um, now I've already forgotten someone else uh, to uh, make comments, but. Um, we would dying to hear from all of you. So there's a, is there a roving mic? Uh, excellent, wonderful. There is a roving mic, and it seems to have been grabbed by well, Noah Dillon. Excellent. Noah.
5: In regard to uh, Stella, you know, in, in Painter's Painting, he criticized the predecessors for the problems in their painting, being that they make a big gesture, and they have to do all this tidying up around the edges. And mm-hmm. I feel like Norton's paintings, especially compositionally, also suffer from this. They feel very compressed, and constricted, and, and kind of pushed in from
0: the edges in a way that i found very problematic. OK, thank you. Um, raise your hands if you want to say something on on, on Michael Norton, um, or, or, or on all the points we've been raising. Yes, do wait for the mic if you would, Eleanor.
1: More of a question that has to do with both painters, because it seems to me that a lot of what's really being talked about has to do with genres, and sorry, not talking loud enough, genres, and when an artist takes becomes part of a genre or adopts, you know, sort of as a part of a genre, when does it become formulaic? The word formulaic, I think, somehow. Has a place in this conversation, in talking about both of the artists. Right. So right. Be interested to hear people talk about
0: that. Yes, we didn't necessarily, in in discussing in rather general terms, the, the these two shows, come to any conclusions as to whether they are overly coherent shows, whether there's how much individuality and range there is. Um, I think we did hear indications of range uh, within Kaiser and also we also, yeah, we did also get the sense of two kinds of work in, in, in Norton. But Anybody on the panel like to to come back to uh...
2: say Yes, please. Um, just quickly um, I think formulaic, I think it's a really good um, point to raise because I think we sort of were skirting around that issue with, with both the painters. I would from my perspective, I don't think either of those painters would deserve that that term—it's mostly derogatory, I think, to say something is formulaic. Maybe not unless it's mm-hmm. their thing. But I think um, they're both better painters than that. I think they're—you know—they're committed when they start the canvas, and there's more yes. search. Um, I had some difficulties with the Norton paintings with the masking that seemed like a kind of safe out in some ways. But uh, I do think that that both painters are not formulaic. Just so if that clarifies.
0: Formulaic is definitely derogatory, but um, theme and variation is uh, is a, is a kind of politer phrase, and um, to some extent, you know, and also um, the opposite of of um, formulaic is inconsistent. Uh, so um, we, we we want some consistency usually in in a show we see.
3: Well, it, you you know to pull the lens way back. I mean, we are all culturally bound and restricted to a certain thing. I mean, if we were in uh, 1452, we wouldn't be talking about this kind of painting at all. We wouldn't have microphones or a video projector either. So we're all, you know, and you narrow it down and narrow it down and you end up talking specifically decades were mentioned, whether something was redolent of the 70s or the 80s or whatever. Okay. So, we're all operating, all these artists are operating within some kind of previously trod-upon territory. Otherwise, we wouldn't recognize it as art, we wouldn't be talking about it, it wouldn't be an exhibition, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Which one, though? And the strange thing is that that, and this is what I found, Ms. Kaiser's results more formulaic. Although her general thing was less formulaic, she wasn't, you know, uh, uh, she wasn't so much in a genre. Uh, and maybe it's a painter sensibility. Mr. Norton's thing I found, you know, painting to painting, much less formulaic. That. Painting at the back, what was it called? Slick kick, split kick yes. was, you know, that was really good. And the announcement one was really good. And there was a tremendous variation in the mm-hmm. quality in the quality of them. And he was what, what? What did I say? He's he had more individual variation, I think, not just physically because I know Rosie Kaiser's things varied all over the place physically, but in feel. And in you know, but he was he 's much more within a groove that 's already been you know put out there
0: right right yes
4: um, just to say something about norton 's paintings i think I find them very sincere um, I think they're very expressive of emotions, and that's very authentic and I think it's sometimes um, difficult for viewers to handle really. Um, emotional things, and you kind of um, push them away because they really touch you. they really move something in you. Um, and I wouldn't say that the quality of his paintings that some are like very high and some like go a little down. I think um, it's like emotions, you have more happy emotions, more soft emotions. They have soft quality, like his paintings towards the entrance of the gallery. At least that's what I felt. And the ones in the back um, are really more powerful. And I just, um, I think they're very brave.
0: Brave, powerful, emotional. Okay, thank you. Yes?
4: The one thing that
6: I wanted to say about Michael's paintings are, um, I totally agree that at first you, they're hard to take in at first. Um, But I find that they're, the paintings that he makes are indicative of history especially with the Lower East Side, Tribeca to me when I see them I see like uh, posters that have been plastered over and over and graffiti Um, and the textural aspect of them are quite luscious so even though they're hard and one could say overtly masculine the idea that that he's presenting something that he knows is difficult to see. Um, And there's something very gentle about that, about accepting something that is difficult. And when I see these paintings, I see a history of a guy that lives in Tribeca, the Lower East Side, who's been here, who's had that painter's history. I see much more in it. And I don't know if you would agree about, about his history as a painter, but that's what I see. And the more that I sit with them, the more I like them.
0: Right. I, I think most of the panelists were not finding um, too much resistance, but the opposite in, in, in the paintings. But that's a, that's a very heartfelt response, and thank you for it. Um, and, and we can take comments on, on both artists. So any, any more comments on either Kaiser or, or, um, or Norton or, or mixing the two? Yes. Uh, there you go.
5: Um. <clears throat> Not the first artist, I wanted to say that my first impression immediately was of action painting that was arrested by the materials, that there was an element of dimension of time that I didn't hear considered here um, that um, was intentional, that the first impression would be of a furious activity on the canvas but that when you observe the materials, you see that the materials are actually having a kind of a refluent effect, a kind of backwards motion. They're slowing the painting down into the opposite direction time-wise. And uh, so that's what I liked about it. Um, I thought that was quite interesting. Um, This painter, I think the Hans Hoffman uh, push-pull, element is very much in his work, but it's neither pushing nor pulling. And um, I, I think that's the absence of conflict. There's a suggestion of some kind of gravitas here that doesn't exist. Uh, push and pull elements are there simply because they're pretty to him or they're, they're interesting, but they're, neither, they're not considered um, in relation to each other. And I think that's the problem I'm having okay. with it there's a lack of conflict. Cool. There. Can
0: you pass the mic to the lady in front of you, um, Alan? Great.
7: Um, this may be a broad question, but I was thinking about um, uh, in the response to the several responses uh, the panel was having to, to both painters that whether there's a question underlying underlying the, the issue of How you handle paint, how and develop a vocabulary, and the relationship between painting and the notion of the avant garde, and whether we're at what kind of place are we at now with that. Um, Whether there's sort of an underlying thing, you know, the expectation when we, as viewers, to see something new, um, and then in an individual painter as they develop you know, that we're still, that we use words like authenticity, whether what we're looking for is something um, convincing or individual within that vocabulary and, you know, the notion that that the first painter is going, you know, taking, (coughs) stripping the canvas down again, which is something that's been done quite, quite, you know, since the 70s. And what was being brought up is, is there a way to do that in a way that's just is it becoming just a new vocabulary? Is there any room to still strip it down anymore because it's been stripped down? I I think
0: right. something to open. Okay, yeah, yeah, thank you. Vocabulary, good. Um, anyone else burning to say something on, on, on either of these artists? Other, otherwise we can, I think, move on, but thank you very much indeed, thank you. Let's, let's see the videos then for, um, okay, cool, thank you. And if I may, a quick shout-out for Anna Shukilo, my um, assistant editor, an assistant editor at Art Critical, who makes these uh, wonderful videos for all all of our uh, presentations, at least the last year or so. Um, Christina, um, for so long, illustration has been a a dirty word uh, in in discussing uh, drawing. Um, Some of us find the negative status of the words illustration and decoration to be appalling clichés anybody who can uh, arrest them uh, gets our vote but at the same time um, these are in a way literally illustrations obviously uh, this uh, taking on of the uh, the fairy tales of um, the brothers grim how does she cope
2: um, I, uh, I like the, the project very much. I like this show. Um, I like the relationship to illustration, which is to say a very straightforward one, is that they are indeed just illustrations. Um, I don't mean just in, you know in, in a, to slight them, but to be honest about the fact that they're meant to accompany text. They accompany text clearly, specifically to certain stories, and they add to the experience of that text. Um, and they're part of the artist's process, as so she's working through a whole bunch of ideas, and I think the um, the overall project, the book by that is, is what I mean by that is a wonderful project. I think more artists should um, you know I think it would be beneficial if more artists work that way in the sense of being less fussy about trying to be something ambiguous or unique or relating to text in a curious way. Uh, I mean to just do an illustration is really refreshing, I thought and um, you know I could quibble with some of the drawings themselves, uh, but I think the exhibition didn't um, it didn't set out any expectations that it didn't fulfill it seemed very um, uh, it's you know it was very clear that these were illustrations and I think that was great I think that worked very well for her.
0: right uh, Roberta do you, do you concur with that verdict both on the project and and it's and its dispatch
1: no <laughs> um, I, I'm mystified by her prominence and I always have been I don't think that I think that again it was just too familiar i don't mind them being illustration but you just think back to the last show when you had a really great illustrator in the work of tommy younger mm-hmm. and i just i just took it as another symptom of what i see as the complete almost complete cluelessness of the drawing center right now which i think is i think is rudderless and needs to completely rethink its mission and one of the things that it's not paying any attention to and needs to think about and, and redefine for itself and for us is connoisseurship. I mean, there's nothing easier to identify than a good drawing. Mm-hmm. And they fail at it again and again. And it, uh, it's, it's, it's really tragic. I mean, if you go over their program, uh, you know, so that's just like a, it's, I'm, uh, you know, I just thought it was more of the same from them. And I thought that there have been great illustrations. You know, I don't mind them as illustrations at all. I prefer them much in the book. But they're just like rewarmed neo-expressionism to me, you know, of the most kind of literary narrative kind. And I thought her tech, I thought, like, she has incredible talent, but she has no criticality about it. So she's not trying to, and you know, there are certain things that were kind of interesting, like, okay, try that. Like, there's a certain kind of graininess of the surface that I, that I liked. But um, it it's just made me want to shake everybody, you know, just <laughs> just to say, you, you have to every, you have to try harder, you have to be more discriminating, you have to be co- more critical of your work, and.
0: Um, Did you feel they looked like sort of Enzo Cookie or something in the in the formal vocabulary? Yeah, but worse. Um, yeah. Ah. Oh, even worse. Okay. Um, I mean. Ah, it's very difficult. I'm sorry because it's a video. Yeah. Um, Yeah, okay. Um, Peter.
3: Yeah, I said at the beginning that, you know, maybe I was going to be the grumpy old man, but now I'm going to be the cheerleading old man. Um, I don't know about the drawing center. Um, I'm not, I try to keep my head down. I'm not big on large issues, and I don't pay enough attention. And since the drawing center is about a, five-minute walk from where I live, I should know, you know, more about it. So the programmatic thing of the Drawing Center... Well,
0: yeah, we're not reviewing the Drawing Center. We're we're not...
3: Well, I think it's... No,
0: come on. No, 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 Roberta's entitled to her opinion on whatever she wants to say. Yeah, but... but We've got to review Natalie Frank. Come on. Yes.
3: You're the moderator. Exactly. Um,
0: (laughs) That's why I'm moderating.
3: Roberta... Raise the point about the drawing center, and I yes. think it's a legitimate you know issue that you okay. can branch off in. I'm just saying that it's not my expertise mm-hmm. yes. or my passion. I was rather taken with the show. And when I was in art school a hundred years ago, there was a great argument about what is a painting versus what is an illustration. And it was in the days of the Bay Area figure School and abstraction. And I had a little lesson one time when I went to see an exhibition of album cover art, great album cover art, Neon Park and, you know, Weasels Eat My Flesh, that great. And it was at one of these recording studios on Hollywood Boulevard. And the stuff looked like shit. Why? Because it was the original art and it was meant to be seen in reproduction. It was meant to be, you know, when all the physicality was taken out of it and it had a coat of gloss over it, you know. So there's a funny kind of thing. With this, I wasn't that taken by the book. I thought, okay, fine. But I was rather taken by, I liked, I thought it was good. Um, And I'm not all that familiar with her, her work. But Ms. Frank, I thought, you know, she's got an awful lot of skill the visuals are pretty good. I could see sources. I mean, I'm one of these people who says, oh, this looks like sort of Jenny Seville meets R.B. Katai. in the you know, but that, that doesn't a legitimate judgment make. And she had imagination in it. The lighting was good. The big faces were good. The transparencies, you know, that kind of stuff. It was an interesting little factlet that she doesn't see stereoscopically and that she has to wear glasses to make everything not appear flat. I don't know what that has to do. Um, and there was another little point I was going to make. I'll just say that I liked it. I thought it was, you know, I thought it was really good. Um, and it's not my cup of tea, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. So.
0: There's a, there's a strong play in, in, in her, her own um, rhetoric and, and in the essays accompanying the, in, in, in the accompanying book, um, a strong claim to the feminism of her project. Uh, is that something that you find a redeeming feature, Roberta?
1: Well, oh, you know, I can find all kinds of redeeming features. I just—it still doesn't convince me. They don't redeem enough. And yes, I mean, I'm interested. You know, if you really go through and analyze them in terms of subject matter and narrative, I, I, I agree with that. But I still think you have to think about things like style and originality. And there's something both familiar and overheated about it all for mm-hmm. me. And. Um,
0: they did certainly bring to my mind uh, a predecessor in, in the fairy tale nursery rhyme um, trajectory of um, feminist uh, approach, um, or female approach, uh, Paula Rego's uh, nursery rhymes, both in etchings and, and paintings, um, from about uh, 20 years earlier, uh, which was acknowledged in, in one of the essays. Um, but And then an interesting, yeah, that, that there's something Kind of similarly both um, uh, that I find both um, strong and compelling but also limited in, um, in in Rego and and in in Frank um, I think Rego's had you know decades more of painting and shes she's a more accomplished <coughs> painter and she started in a really interesting place as well um, but um, it, it's curious. I started by saying, "Let's slay this dragon of illustration, as we would of decoration." Um, I think they're anachronistic pejoratives, um, and yet, uh, what is it that I don't find totally convincing or satisfying here? And and it it might just be that um, there, it's the limit. It's the smallness of illustration that that um, the the limited scope, perhaps, of um, rendering as uh, within a proscenium arch of, um, a, a, ta- of a, a slice of the tail uh, that, that, that makes these somewhat limited for me.
2: May I say something? Yes. I think my, my enthusiasm for this show stems really from knowing the little bit I do of her as a painter and um, my admiration for her way of, of trying to work through subject matter. This is going to sound very simplistic, but I do think that painters either struggle with the what to paint or the how to paint, and I think she's very clearly someone who has no trouble with the how to paint. But the what to paint is really hard, and Mm -hmm. it's hard in today's day and age to know what a painting should be, how it should be, and she's trying to keep a lot of balls in the air to paint figuratively and try to have something that is meaningful to her and relevant to contemporary issues. Um, and compelling visually. I think it's just a lot to try to do. So I guess my enthusiasm really comes from an admiration for the spirit of it. Um, mm. That being said, you know I do think there's a lot of problems with the drawings as drawings. And I don't think the show set them up to be viewed that way. Like you're saying, I think they're meant mm. to be seen in reproduction. Um, so this is sort of a taste of, of you know, her process. Um, and it's not as strong as her finished works. I think the images get much more... Uh, incisive in her larger paintings where she's clarified and honed things down um, but I just like it as a um, as a way of thinking through painting a way to approach the problem subject matter. I think there's something, heartening in her exuberance and going after this. I don't think they're terribly original, and I do think they tend to cancel each other out when seen as drawings on a wall. I think they're, they're far too similar, and uh, it's true, you know, the subject matter of fairy tales being very erotic or very this or very feminist. I mean, I feel that's really been done, so I didn't see a lot of originality in that, but I do think as a painter she's tackling something head-on, and I like that very much.
0: Yeah, yeah, she she corresponded with me when she was still an undergraduate at Yale. Um, a, one of the art historians there had paid her a studio visit and um, said you should get in touch with me. And uh, basically she, we had an interesting correspondence because she was saying she was a feminist and she couldn't stand the kind of cynicism of Yuskovich and uh, Kurin, but she really wanted to paint the figure. And Yale wasn't giving her access to a life room. And what did I think? And so it was an interesting exchange. And I followed her ever since with this kind of sympathy that, that uh, mirrors Christina's um, for, for her ambition, liking the ambitions. Um, but yeah, the, the, where she's at at the moment with these, uh, how she's deploying her skills. Interestingly, I think that um, she's using materials that have an intrinsic glory to them. Uh, Pastel, for instance. And, and yet there's, they're not resisting her. It's, it's coming up with the same problems that we were discussing with one or two of the earlier shows. Um, that um, um, maybe there's just a well, little too much there's, fluency.
1: I think there's, she has a lot in common with the, Mr. Norton. Right. Which is a tremendous amount of skill and uh, not, not pushing it to a place where Art is is differentiated from other art, which is mm. she's not. You know,
0: I don't know. Do you think she's even perhaps going to uh, the 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 the, the, the lit- she's she's going to the critical interest and the anthropological interest in fairy and t- in, in nursery rhymes, and she's going to feminism, and she's going to uh, 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 theater. <coughs> as as ways to make the work more interesting but without grappling with with those with anything really in the work itself
1: yeah i guess so i mean i just think she's incredibly skilled and she's not suspicious of it
0: right mm-hmm. right
1: and and it, you know to have to have those kinds of skills is it's a it's a real challenge it's probably mm-hmm. easier not to have them
0: yeah you know and, I think you're damned whether you have them or not, because if, you, if you're not suspicious of either your lack of skill or your abundance of skill, we, don't, we shouldn't care about skill, we should just care about suspicion. In... <laughs> well,
1: no. I don't think Hartley was ever... You know, I mean, Hartley lacked a certain skill, and he made great paintings, and in a way, I don't know. <laughs>
0: yeah. No, no, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. I mean, I... I've, I've, I wasn't looking for a laugh. I actually do find it's, it's uh, you know, you're either born with a lot of skill, like Degas, or you're born with two left hands, like Van Gogh, and you're suspicious of them if you're Degas and Van Gogh and you produce greatness. Um, or if a painter doesn't have any suspicion but has one or the other of those skill sets, they'll just flounder um, with too much or not enough skill.
3: Yeah. De Kooning said as an insult I forget who he said it of that somebody was a great artist from the elbow down I think
0: that's
3: (laughs) what you're talking about I mean it can be um, but it's one of these things I can't prove the Quality or the virtue of those things, you know, I'll throw words at it, they're this and that and the other thing. I agree, they're very skilled. I'm tolerant of the sidestep maybe that this took from bigger, more major work and in deciding to illustrate, um, you know, Grimm's fairy tales. I did wonder in there, I will say with Roberta about institutional things on the wall label. Mm. I always think, who writes this crap? You know? And it was about how, and I think the verb in there was she had discovered violence and sexuality in the Brothers Grimm. And I thought, as we used to say at Newsweek, you know, newsflash, you know, <laughs> discovered. And, and, but I can't, I can't lay that at her feet. I mean, she didn't do. But I was taken and convinced and uh, made a little bit happy by seeing bing, 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 those drawings afterward. Yeah, there were maybe a couple too many of them, more yeah. than a couple too many of them, and they did repeat,
0: but still. I mean, we have to say, I think we have to say that, you know, there are standards set by prior generations, and if, if you just think of, say, Nancy Spiro and Artaud, Okay, that sets the standard if, if that could be done for 20-30 years earlier then Frank and Grimm has to go somewhere as, as, as deep and questioning as that and um, I think maybe what some of us are saying is it just doesn't um, I wonder then therefore um, on a question of connoisseurship uh, Roberta um, would you be more impressed if uh, the Drawing Center brought our attention, to our attention uh, the work of Christine Rabet. Would that show better taste? Well,
1: why don't we separate, get to that when we get
0: to that? We're getting to that. That's my segue. It's so oh. ingenious you didn't notice it.
1: Oh. Um, no, I, I mean, I liked her drawings and I, I, I had much more respect, you know, but but I still don't think that – I mean, I think they're very nice, and I think they're – I don't know. I don't, I don't think um, – I was much more interested in the video and yes, in, seeing the yes. drawings work in the video. And I, I was – I liked the color, and I liked the um, – that they were kind of cryptic, and that they used the white a lot. But they didn't seem – it was only when they were animated that they started to seem kind of distinguished to me. Yes. But, you know, there were elements about them that I liked, just, I don't know, the kind of disheveled quality or
0: something. Yes. We're now, we're now talking about Christine Rebe at uh, Bureau, and I you've made exactly the point I would have made, which is, uh, if I'd opened, which is... Uh, the video is the main event. It feels a bit like, the with the framed works in this show, it feels a bit like I'm in the... Um, the foyer of Film Forum, looking at posters for uh, other movies, including perhaps the one I'm I'm going going to see. Um, the, whereas the animation is uh, it's short and sweet, but pretty damn good, and 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 the drawing really lives in 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 that film. In that and and the um, Peter mentioned earlier in relation to Norton, this this idea of. Um, um, or, or was it Roberto I'm sorry, but it was that, that sense of uh, celluloid and um, um, historic um, uh, play with historic um, uh, animation um, that uh, it seemed to me that uh, I, I loved the fluidity um, uh, and also the, the music worked very well with it um, but but yeah the the frame, the, the frame works really are footnotes to the main event, and the, the main event is one small wall in a, in a big show uh, Peter would you concur with that or take issue
3: no I'd concur maybe we come to different conclusions about it I, I, I thought the video rather overwhelmed the show except in the front lobby part that, that first gallery where you weren't You know, you didn't have to compete. I mean, anything that's big and self-illuminated and moves and has sound, you know, is going to rather bulldoze, you know, uh, uh, other things. I'm not as enthusiastic uh, of the video of the film as film. Uh, I've been around film schools. I've seen that stuff. And there was something to me that said this is awfully sort of... Film schoolish about it. Um, you know, not quite Norman McLaren, but but like that. The drawings. Mm, um, <clears throat> I once went to a, a, a museum that probably hardly anybody has been to in Belgium on a tour. There's a, an international poster artist named Falon, F-O-L-O-N. F-O-L-O-N, mm-hmm. F-O-L-O-N And he has his whole, you know, he does his UN piece, but he's a big, you know, these seem like Fallone with a little, you know, with a few more details added. They were nice, Uh, I'll I'll quit with this, somewhere a long time ago I read in a New Yorker review, not of art, it was of some off-Broadway musical, but one of the little capsule reviews... And it said this musical, da 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 where the whimsy is as thick as that. And I thought these drawings, where the, the whimsy was as thick as that. Right. And if you want whimsy, you got it, and it's real good.
0: <laughs> Christina, your uh, namesake, nearly. <laughs>
2: Um, this is making me want to go back and see the film again. I didn't. I actually didn't respond to the film much at all. It seemed so simplistic. And uh, I think, as a general feeling about this show, it felt like such a tease to me, and maybe not in the most positive way, um, in the sense that it's clearly an interesting mind and in hand at work here. That's what I, I felt. But it never seemed to quite come together in a way that I think did justice to, I'm sure, some of her instincts as an artist. It felt very... Um, No, she's referencing Duchamp in the press release, and so all you're going to expect a certain amount of cryptic behavior. But it just was a little bit too coy. I felt I never quite got to what she was really, sort of really trying to get at, and the video seemed to obfuscate things even more. um, Because I do think there's a lot of interesting. Um, work going on here. I like this, again, I like the sensibility of the drawings that seems, um, I always think of as kind of like a hypothetical approach to drawing. There's a what-if going on. It's, it's a way of, um, you know, a sort of reminder that, you know, if you can think it, you can draw it. And she seems mm-hmm. to be someone who's always thinking as she goes. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of um, interesting material that I just wish I'd seen just come forward a little bit more clearly.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I don't want to make exaggerated claims for the for the animation. I just feel in in comparison to the uh, the, the fixed works, the fixed works are preparatory for the animation. So that's that's the um, I guess the curatorial problem that I have uh, with 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 this display. Um, Peter, I think you're right. Uh, these are tropes of animation, and that. Uh, <laughs> You know, she's certainly no... She's certainly no... South African...
3: Cecil B. DeMille.
0: Uh, no, I was actually... Uh, William Kentridge. I was actually thinking of William Kentridge. Thank you. Uh-huh. But um, anyway. Um, well, let's have our audience respond to uh, Natalie Frank and indeed uh, Christine Rabbe. Um So... Any, anybody? Uh, Natalie Frank got a somewhat rough ride on the panel. Um, anybody, uh, a staunch uh, Frankist here who wants to uh, uh, put us to right, um, or, or any comments at all on, on the last two shows, will be very welcome. Yes, uh, there's a hand going up. Fantastic, um, Eileen, one of my Eileen Wang, who writes for Art Critical, Thank you. Hello.
6: Um, I really appreciated all your comments uh, in the panel. And I especially appreciated your comments about Natalie Frank's works. Um, and I was wondering if you, you think that her works are not innovative enough because it's narrative? Or, and also, would you be able to comment on her methods of, about narr- uh, or translating narrative in a contemporary art Is there any innovation there, or you don't think there are innovations there?
0: Yes. Is it is it the narrative, or is it the uh, lack of resistance, uh, or or the the lack of breakthrough in the mode of representation that's the most dissatisfying to anybody who was dissatisfied on the panel by by Frank? That's the question. I could answer. And Christina could. Yes. I could
2: answer in the opposite very quickly. Just that I think I sort of said it, but that. Um, I think it's very brave to try to work with narrative in the way that she is, and that's why you know I was enthusiastic about the show. Um, I think I tend to think that you know painting is a—it's—it's it's got its tired moments right now. There's no question about it. There's a lot that's been done, and it's hard to know where things can get invigorated from again. And I do think um, the more sources, perhaps, the better. So I'm I'm very excited to see people looking hard for sources, looking hard at narrative, looking hard at figuration um, Not to say that you can't do all different kinds of styles and have innovation, but I do think my feeling is that the interesting work is going to come from putting more in paintings rather than less. So in that sense, I, I think she's on to the beginning of something sort of interesting, although, as David said, this particular show got a rough ride.
5: Uh, yeah, I just thought that's a good point about narration. I just wanted to add to that uh, in the context of illustration, I think we should think about sequential images. Graphic novels now have become such a, a major uh, medium in, them, in themselves and, and the idea of so much you can do with sequential images and the imagination that uh, graphic novelists have used uh, in combining narration with vision. That With the Brothers Grimm, it seems that uh, she perhaps remains too rooted in painting and doesn't explore enough the, uh, the practices of that come out of that. And perhaps I could relate also uh, to Rebe's work with uh, animation in in itself as another form of sequential imaging, of of putting images together in sequence.
0: Yeah, I mean, the fact that uh, the the, the illustration to uh, the pictures pictures to a text is so 19th century um, a convention. Um, And the Brothers Grimm in particular, we've had a century of uh, Disney and others um, confronting uh, the, those those legends. So, um, yeah, the cartoon and the it would seem to be it's 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 an interesting going back to a a convention that was cutting edge in the nineteenth century and is is now a polite anachronism. Yes, um, the illustrated book. Yes.
5: Yeah, speak, speaking to the sequentiality of the of, uh, illustration sort of brings to mind somebody like uh, Zach Smith who did his uh, Gravity's Rainbow illustrations one for each page of the book back in I think it was 2003. I um, mean that's a sort of different use of illustrations. Some of them were very literal to the text. Other ones had nothing to do with the text at all and were just whatever was on his mind at the time. So illustration can you know doesn't have to be a one-to-one correspondence with whatever is being illustrated.
0: Right. Right. I wonder a question for both the panel and the audience. Who would you most like to see illustrate the Brothers Grimm of of every living artist? uh, Who who, who would you or or something to ponder while we take some more comments and uh, (laughs) questions? Any any other hands going up? Um, Yes.
5: Um, Thank you, everybody, for all of your insights. Um, Christina, you brought up a, a comment earlier that I really enjoyed about the, 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 the what's instead of the hows. And I would like to see that what's House hows and raise you a why. <laughs> and to ask the, gen- the panel in general if speculating the motivation of the artist has anything to do with your read.
2: That's a really good question, and, and I tend my brain goes there a lot, I find, when I'm looking at works, um, and I'm not, I think you're right to question it as, you know, should that be part of critical looking, saying, what was the artist thinking? What did they want? And, you know, as I say, that informed my reading of The, the Norton Show, saying, I think he's just wanting to make a powerful painting now, and I'm not seeing enough other information. But that's perhaps not a fair way of looking at it. So I was trying to shy away from the why a little bit, because I question it, but it's, I think that's a really good point. Hmm.
3: Depends on how wide you want to take that why. I mean, some artists have a why that has to do with an agenda or a philosophical position outside the art. And then there's inside where the artist is simply, you know, we can get down to something very mundane. I have a kind of a certain way of making art and I want to make a show out of it that people will like and they'll buy some of it and it will get noticed and it will get you know favorable remarks from people like us so that's way down there and then you have things that are you know way over on the other side somewhere in the middle maybe closer to the art itself yeah i think it's legit to ask why you know why would you take this particular tack why would you choose to make 20-foot paintings, why would you make little, tiny little etchings for a given thing? Yeah, I think I think it's legit. But you don't want to get too speculative. Mm. I mean, I was thinking, I just throw this in, I don't know much about Christine Rabet, but I noticed that she had a, she has a kind of a reputation. She did things in Europe. She was born in 1971, and at age 40, she gets an MFA at Columbia. And I thought, why? You know, because she seemed, you know, yeah. to have it
0: going. That's, that is intriguing, isn't it? To have a, you know, a, a big career going on in Europe, and go back to school in America. Yeah, curious. Um, it, to, to answer your question on intentionality, um, I find it interesting if the work makes it interesting. So I don't have a, a blanket. It's a pragmatist answer. I do not have a dogmatic opposition to the idea of the intentional fallacy. Um, but uh, nor am I an intentionalist. Um, if it's there as an active component in the work, then intentionality is, is something that has to be taken account of. Yeah,
1: I think that, I mean, I, I'm interested, going back to this question at the other break, I'm interested in something I haven't seen before. And I've seen a lot. So I I I think that we all do that, that we all want to see something that's that's new or that's felt, or some combination of the two that's really meant and seems necessary. And a lot of very little art actually does that. And um, so if you see that and you you what which I think is you're sort of looking at this a mysterious thing called form you see a kind of form that that will take you beyond narrative because I think it does have to go beyond that um, then you'll get you can go all sorts of places and you'll see intention you'll see that this is something that how it was meant and, and you'll see a co- connection between intention and effect but on the other hand you know artists don't own the meaning of their work and they don't they're not in control of everything they don't know what they're doing. They don't know all of what they're doing. They're doing lots of things that can be taken different ways. So in, intention is kind of, it's just a starting point for them.
0: Yeah, exactly. And then the most exciting intentions are the ones that weren't intended. Yeah. Um, well, let's just have a, anybody anywhere in the room can shout out names. I would just, just mention one point, and that is that I, w- I would have Natalie Frank and, and Christina in particular look at um, I'd have Christina look at uh, Elizabeth Payton's workings through Wagner uh, which I thought were riveting and extraordinary and that's an example of somebody illustrating um, but the, 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 the source totally anim- animating something um, I hadn't seen before. I was excited to see that show at the Met uh, Metropolitan Opera House a few years ago. Uh, but just anybody, this is uh, the last moment of the 2015 season of the review panel at the Art Critical. Maybe, who knows. So uh, if, you, if you want, this is your moment to ignore the mic and just shout out the name of somebody you want to see illustrate the Brothers Grimm. Uh, okay, any. <laughs> Jeff Koons, we've had.
1: How about George Kondo?
0: George Kondo, we'll take a vote, yes. Uh, Jeff Koons, George Kondo. Who? Leon Golub. Leon Golub. Ken Kiff. Ken Kiff. Lawrence. G- Jenny Lawrence. Jenny Lawrence. Jacob, Chandler. oh, Jacob Lawrence. Okay, Jacob Lawrence. Stephen, Stephen Antonakis. Stephen Antonakis. Steve Janakis. Edward Gorey. Edward Gorey, who were you saying? Cindy Sherman. Gary, <laughs> Sherman. Gary Panther. Gary <laughs> <laughs> Panter. Lisa Yuskovage. Philip Philip Guston. Max Max Beckman. Alice Neal. Alice Neal. Daniel Daniel (laughs) Daniel Buren. He wins, Daniel Buren. Let's go and have a drink, everybody.